0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Get comfy up here. Right. You guys comfy? All right. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your presence here this morning, God, and all that you've done in our hearts already, God. Solidify it. And I pray, Lord, that you would take this word and your truth, Lord, and you would transform our lives, that we would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to look at the season that we're in as a church body of passing the baton to the next generation. Passing the baton to the next generation. And so I don't know if any of you guys brought a baton this morning. Probably not because the baton is a symbol of Jesus. But you guys brought Jesus, didn't you? Yeah, so we want to pass Jesus to the next generation. And so a couple weeks ago, Jamie Galloway was here, and he actually prophesied it over our church that we're in a season of passing the baton to the next generation of leadership, and was I listened to it again just to hear what he said. And I was so excited that he called that out. Because that's our calling as a church body. We're called to be a church in our city who is known, who is known for excelling in passing this baton to the next generation. And this principle, it, it doesn't just apply to church, it applies to families and it overflows from families into communities, and it overflows from communities into organizational structures like the church, like business, like um, all the seven cultural mountains, government, education, media, business, health, entertainment. If we wanna have maximum impact in our spheres of influence, we need to master this skill, this kingdom skill of passing the baton to the next generation, so I want to start with the end, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. You can turn there in your word if you want to. I believe passing the baton is really, it's really just a picture of the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, 18, Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. I don't know about you if you've anyone heard this scripture before, the Great Commission. It's pretty famous, pretty awesome passage. You could really spend a long time meditating on this. When I initially read it, I get the picture of just kind of traditional evangelism. I don't know about you guys, but we're, we're gathering together. We set an event as a church body. We're going downtown. We're going door to door. We're handing out tracts. We're telling people about Jesus. We're praying for people. They get healed. We invite them back to church. They get baptized. They encounter Jesus. Of course, they got saved. They get delivered. And it goes on and on. Awesome. But I want to kind of look at that at the Great Commission as it goes beyond just our present activity and present church events Dude, this is actually a generational thing. This is actually goes well beyond just the present to generations. It goes back It goes to passing the baton to the next generation is the Great Commission. So I want to look at it like this. If you started in Wilmington and you started walking from here to L.A. Okay, it is 2,630 miles. So how long do you think it would take you? How many days? You guys want to know? Oh, you haven't pulled out Google yet? Because that's what I did. Google Maps will tell you right away. It will take you 36 days exactly, assuming you don't stop to eat and you don't stop to go to the bathroom. 36 days. I don't recommend that, okay, by any means, but if the Lord's called you to it, you know, go for it. He'll provide, right? So I want you to think of time like this journey from Wilmington to L.A. Wherever we are in our, span, in our time and history, your time is important. On that map from Wilmington to L.A., we're probably somewhere in the end. Like maybe we've just crossed the border from Flagstaff, Arizona, crossing the border into California. Maybe we're about there in all of history. But every generation is important in all of history. And the baton must be passed from one generation to another. Did you get it working there? I need my notes for the next one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it memorized. What's my next one? Okay, there we go. It's just not showing up there. But... Um, that's all right, I got notes here, we're all right. So if you would imagine like a four by 100 relay, I don't know if you guys have ran that recently, okay. It's, it's got these, there's these red, these passing zones in, in red on the, on the map, on the picture that's not on there. But there's these passing zones where you're allowed, oh, that looks promising. We're allowed to, you're allowed to pass the baton when you're in that passing zone. And so there's a precise technique that you have to follow so you don't drop the baton. I see it as a symbol of this as the next generation that we want to we be precise about how we pass the baton to the next generation. So in a relay, in that passing zone, the person that's running is going, you know, pretty quick and they've got the baton out and the person that's receiving is already starting to run and they have their hand ready to receive the baton. So it's this seamless transition. And what we, the goal is to keep the momentum and the goal is to not drop the baton. Okay, so we pass along Jesus from generation to generation. And when we do that, darkness is pushed back and the light comes in with every baton pass to every generation to every person in that generation. Yes, it came back. Thank you, Jesus. There we are. There's that beautiful picture there. And when we do that, the kingdom grows. So I'll look at this from Judges 2. This is an amazing passage that we can really learn a lesson from. Judges 2, 6 through 10. After Joshua had dismissed them, the people of Israel went off to claim their allotted territories and take possession of the land. The people worshipped God throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the time of the leaders who survived him. Leaders who had been in all of God's great work that he had done for Israel. The, then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of God, died. He was 110 years old. Eventually, that entire generation died and was buried. Then another generation grew up that didn't know anything of God or the work he had done for Israel. Wow. Then, eventually, that entire generation died, no surprise, it's gonna happen, and was buried. And then another generation grew up that didn't know anything of God or the work he had done for Israel. So, what happened? Somebody dropped the baton, right? A lot of somebodies. Where was the legacy? What happened? And I got to thinking, were the people of God, were they so busy doing all these amazing works that they forgot to train their children? Did they forget to encourage their children to encounter God for themselves? Did they become complacent in their wealth and comfort, making a name for themselves in history? Were they insecure in their identity as God's chosen ones, unwilling to empower the next generation to succeed more than they did? These are pretty deep thoughts because we don't really know the answer, but we know something went horribly wrong. And it had this crippling effect on the next generation. So we were playing tennis the other day, which I love to play tennis. Anyone here a tennis player? Yes, back there, back there. Yes, okay. And the I was playing with someone doubles and they served it and it hit the net on the the first serve which happens a lot and it was a fault right and we said it's fault and then we were joking around it's your fault it's your fault, fault fault and we were just playing on that word and it was fun and then i got to thinking about like when i hit the ball and it goes like crazy out or something or or in the net and it or i hit the ball and it sounds funny because i didn't hit it right or the angle is wrong or i was too lazy to move or whatever and A lot of times, I I noticed I'll pick up my racket and look at it. Like I think there must be something wrong with the racket because it has to be the racket's fault, right? And you know, like 99.9% of the time it's not the racket. I've only actually broken a string one time in all my years of playing. And it's usually not the tennis ball and it's usually not the net. Usually, the fault lies right here, okay? But as you know, we're usually the last people to blame ourselves. So in this case, the Israelites, who could they blame? The world? Could they blame their kids or themselves? So why does a church fail to pass the baton to the next generation? Is it the world's fault? I mean, the world back then was pretty worldly, I mean, there's a lot of sin. It was pretty rampant, kind of a lot of sin today. The world's still pretty worldly. Not, not a surprise there. Okay. Um, did they, um, should they blame, should we blame the next generation that they didn't receive the baton? Because sometimes that's what I hear is that we look at this next generation of millennials and we say, well, you know, I don't know if you can relate to this. They're selfish, irresponsible. They don't honor authority. They're obsessed with entertainment, social media, money, and greed, and they don't, they're always late. They don't know how to persevere, and lacking in purpose and direction. Does that kinda sum up the next generation? Anyone ever heard that, thought that? Okay, well, that may be true, but it's not really gonna help fix the problem. Cursing them doesn't really help fix the problem. It kinda makes it worse. And so the reality is that what we see in the next generation is the natural progression and overflow of our DNA. It's the passing along of inheritance. Like it or not, the next generation carries our DNA. They carry our DNA. So it's essentially our fault. So let me give you an example. Um, This does not apply to everyone in the room, but I know there's many of us here We're at this church in particular in our city. We chose this church because maybe we had a negative experience at a more traditional religious church, and we came to this non-traditional charismatic church because we want freedom, we want presence, we want Holy Spirit, we want spiritual gifts, we wanna hear God's voice, we wanna step out in the worship arts, we don't want stale routine Stale songs controlling religion, right? Amen. Anyone in the room on that place? We want freedom, passion, presence. So now we have this generation that's grown up in this culture, and we have passed along this spiritual DNA to them. And so is it a surprise? Should we be surprised when they don't want to hear about the rules? (laughs) Because that's what we didn't want to hear about. And we passed that along to them. Should should we be surprised if they have a little hard time with spiritual authority? Probably not, because we've kind of passed that along to them. Okay? Should we be surprised when they start taking and stepping out in new levels of Holy Spirit and new songs of worship and new styles and new levels of freedom of hearing the word of God, of hearing God's voice and stepping out and taking risks? Should Should we be surprised when when we let them lead, our church doesn't look like our church anymore. This is our DNA living and breathing in them. The worst thing we can do is stifle it and condemn it and cut it off. The best thing we can do is celebrate it to cheer it on and to embrace the change. When we talk about passing along spiritual DNA, we're really talking about a spiritual inheritance. See, there's this spiritual inheritance that's like way more important than money or houses or cars. I, I found this quote and I, I, I don't know who said it, Bill Johnson or someone, and I kept trying to go back and figure out who said it and I still can't figure it out. Maybe I made it up, but I don't know. It's, I don't know, it's a little good for me. But inheritance makes each generation responsible to both receive and honor what is passed on from the previous generation and then pay their own price to make it grow so the next generation starts ahead of them. The ceiling of one generation must become the floor of the next. Amen. This is pretty deep stuff. If you start, start to think, this brought up some questions to me. What have we received from the previous generation spiritually? Spiritually. Not talking about houses, cars, money, politics. Spiritually, what have we received from the previous generation? How have we stewarded it to make it grow? How is our ceiling becoming their floor? And are we willing to empower and elevate the next generation above ourselves? I'll give you a practical example. I have this passion to worship God. It's, it all started maybe when I was 18. I grew up in a church kind of just reading words off the page of a hymnal, and it was just kind of dead, didn't really mean anything. But then when I got to be 18, I, I started encountering the Lord in worship. Like, off, like I had these intimate encounters with God that really changed everything, and it was through worship. So I, I carry this passion to worship. I worship a lot at home. I, always, I have worship music on. Like, that's pretty much all I listen to. And I just love to worship God. And it's who I am. So this DNA has naturally been passed along in my family. I didn't like really try. It just happened. So you, saw, you see my son, Zachariah, my oldest, who's up here a lot leading worship, or he was doing sound this morning, and you see my kids on the stage a lot, and then it's kinda gone further than that because it started with me as children's pastor raising up a worship band, and so more gathered into this thing, and then it ro- they rose up to the youth band and through the voyage band and to a lot of the people on the stage this morning. So what happened It was just this natural passing along of spiritual DNA. It was fun, and like, but they had to receive it for themselves. Like it wasn't just like I was trying to lecture them and preach at them and you got to receive this wisdom or you will die, right? No. I'm like passing along this passion and they receive it for themselves. Then they're going home and they're worshiping the Lord on their guitars and they're encountering the Lord in the secret place. They're getting guitar lessons, which I never had. And there, my ceiling is becoming their floor. And now I can't even get up on the stage anymore because I'm not good enough. What? Are we willing to elevate the next generation above ourselves, not just on the stage or with music, but in every area of life? Spiritual increase. When we do this, we're going to see incredible spiritual increase. In this end times revival, we're going to see incredible spiritual increase. We already are. There's really no better time to be alive Say, there's no better time to be alive. Okay. The increase we see in technology is kind of a picture of what's happening spiritually. Anyone had, did anyone own the first iPhone that came out in 2007? Yes, one back here. The 2G model back here. Okay. Did you know the iPhone 7 that just came out is 120 times faster than the original? Can you imagine 120 times faster to surf the web, to send an email, to send a text, to communicate with people. The, the new iPhone is lighter, it's better and stronger, faster, better in every single way. And it's the same way in the kingdom from generation to generation. Because generations before us didn't really understand the grace of God They were stuck in this works mentality, this legalism. Generations before us didn't know about authentic, intimate worship. We're we're actually singing directly to the Father. We're encountering and connecting with God. That's something this church has paved the way in our city, as back in the days of the vineyard, right? And we carry that DNA in us, and we pass it on to the next generation who's taken it to an even higher level. This generation, you guys, have been given this incredible spiritual inheritance, revelation to the depths of the love of God and the grace of God, that he's a good, good father, that we can approach him and he he embraces us and he loves us no matter where we're at. Intimate worship, encounters in the presence, supernatural healing and deliverance, hearing God's voice that each one of us can hear the voice of the Lord. You don't need me. You can, at home, through the Holy Spirit, hear the voice of God. What? right? The Christ, just look at the Christian books out there and all the resources that at, at our fingertips to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom and the grace of God. It is crazy amazing what we have available. We've been set up for success to take all this amazing spiritual inheritance in the journey and take it and give it away to the next generation so that they can take it to the next level in this end times revival, So, as family life pastor, my heart, like the reason I live, is to empower the church to successfully pass the baton to the next generation. The future of our church depends on it. The future of worldwide revival depends on our ability to pass the baton to the next generation. So, I want to talk about keys for the passing zone, when that baton is passed, some key elements that we need to get really good at. And I want Global River, I want our church to be known as a church, a community who elevates, empowers, honors, and excels in passing the baton to the next generation. Anyone with me? So this is legacy. If you can read it up there, it says, living a life that lasts I know we can all relate to this. If you think about when we're on our deathbed someday and we're thinking through our life, what did it mean? What did I live for? Usually comes down to what did I leave behind? And it starts with our natural children, our natural sons and daughters. But we have this extended family, this extended spiritual inheritance of spiritual sons and daughters. And it's the next generation the inheritance we leave behind so keys of the passing zone 1 2 and 3 that we would be relational we would be intentional and we would be sacrificial so number 1 the the baton is passed most effectively in relationship first timothy 1 5 through 6 This is Paul talking, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, he's talking to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is on you through the laying on of my hands. So, I define church primarily as a presence centered family. A presence centered family with the purpose of bringing heaven to earth in our city and in our world. A presence centered family. So, this illustration illustrates the power of family. It's God's design since the beginning of time. He ordained it to be so. The baton is passed most effectively through relationships, through family. We're talking about sincere faith in grandma, passed to mother, passed to son, and then fanned into flame through a spiritual father, through the laying on of hands. This is an amazing, miraculous process that works. It's proven to work over and over again. I love this. I put the Nike check there because the word Eunice actually means conquering well. The Nis they get the N I C E is where they get the word Nike, which means conqueror, conqueror. So Eunice is honored with the victory of passing her sincere faith onto Timothy. It's victorious. It's victory. Passing the baton must be relational. That's the key to victory. Passing the baton is organic. It is natural. It just kind of happens. When you spend time together, you pass things along. You pass your spiritual DNA, DNA along to people. There's no, like, magic formula necessarily for it. It's just like discipleship. It's running together, doing life together. It's just kind of, like, common sense, right? Doing life together, passing along spiritual DNA. But if it's common sense, then how did the Israelites miss it in Judges 2? How did an entire generation miss it? Why do we have this relational divide between the generations, not only in culture but in the church, The lack of relationship. Why do I hear my generation and older complain about the next generation? I wish they would just listen to my wisdom. Have you pressed into relationship? We cannot skip the relationship piece and pass the baton effectively. Now, In a natural family, it's a little easier because you're all under one roof. You do life together. It's kind of hard to get away from it. But how do we do relationship well in spiritual family? That moves to our second key, which is being intentional. We have to be intentional about passing the baton to the next generation. So can you imagine a relay race where the runner forgets to pass the baton? They just got so focused on running the race to the end, to the finish line, that they forgot. Well, what would happen in an actual relay race? Probably disqualification. Um, if that wasn't the um, what the consequence, there would probably be exhaustion and burnout and uh, dropping out. Right? Did you know between eight and ten thousand churches close their doors in America every year? Barna statistic: between eight and ten thousand churches close their doors in America every year. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but I think the primarily is dropping the baton, missing out on passing this baton to the next generation. We have to be intentional. And so my wife and I have kind of tapped into this by accident or maybe just by hearing the whistle of the Lord. I don't know. We were like praying for young adults, and I'm like, I want to see more young adults In our church, I want to see young adults raise up. I like have this heart for young adults, and so God said, invite them over. So whenever one would come around, and we'd invite them over for dinner, we'd connect. We would give them free food. We didn't charge them. It kind of weird, right? We just hung out. Like I didn't have any kind of agenda. I didn't preach at them. I just listened. I started to really listen and understand their perspective. And as we we did that and we started building connection, they started to be this huge blessing to me, this huge blessing to my kids and my family. And then they started asking me for advice. (laughs) Uh, and, And like when I gave them advice, they would actually do it. I, I didn't have to like lecture them and tell them everything that was wrong in their lives that I saw and like you need to learn from this because I messed up. and da, da, da. They just started asking me and I started giving them advice and they did it. It was amazing. And now these young adults have become our closest friends and they bless us like every day. So we have to be intentional about doing relationship with the next generation. We have to be intentional of about listening to their perspective, listening and understanding. And so, yet the next generation carries a very different perspective because they've grown up in a very different world than the way we grew up. And so, listening to how they process things, how they take that before the Lord and process that spiritually and live it out, I've learned so much and been so encouraged. So, here's a few things I've, I've, I've heard by listening. The next generation, just like you were, or maybe still are, they're looking for love and acceptance, I'm talking about kids, youth, young adults. They're looking for love, acceptance. They're looking for identity. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for belonging. And as the church, we're the perfect place to give this. Because obviously we, we don't have enough in ourselves. It's the Lord, and he has got everything they need. Love, acceptance, identity, purpose, and belonging, and we're set up for success to be able to give this away, give this away, and pass this baton. Some other things I'm learning, which is which is quite religion, quite religion, quite interesting. This generation is fed up with religion. Okay, let me explain. They've grown up seeing a lot of hypocrisy in the church. They've grown up seeing people say one thing and do another. They've grown up seeing the media scandals in the church. They've seen the control and the manipulation. They've seen the church point and condemn and then also ask for money at the same time, okay? So when they see religion, okay, ornate colors, stained glass windows, religious symbols, they see religion, okay? So when they see religion, when they see Christianity, they see religion, and it's fear-based control, and they can identify it from a mile away. They see the fake smiles, and they don't want to have anything to do with it, and that's why we see a mass exodus from the church worldwide from the next generation. This is precisely why Jesus is so popular. Okay, and some of you guys in the room can relate to this. Just Jesus. Seen that bumper sticker around? (laughs) Just Jesus. The Jesus tent. Jesus culture. See, Jesus was relational. He was a radical. He had identity and purpose down. The person of Jesus and everything about him stands out from Christianity and religion. Okay, you see what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense in the words, but it makes sense when you see it from their perspective. Okay, what religion and Christianity mean and who Jesus is. Jesus stands out from religion that's why they, young adults, the youth, kids flock to the person of Jesus and everything he is. See, Jesus honored all the generations, the kids, the youth, the young adults, the older, the sinners, the elders. And he encouraged them to honor each other. So this generation wants a church that's authentic, where they can find connection where they can find spirit mentors, spiritual fathers and mothers, where where they can find belonging and make a difference. They're looking for something real. They're looking for something radical. They're looking for something passionate. And we carry that inside of us, the person and presence of Jesus. So, do we want to be A kind of church that reaches out to the next generation. Psalm 78. My people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So when we're intentional about doing relationships well with the next generation, this kind of stuff is naturally going to happen. We're going to share stories about what God did in us. They're going to see our lifestyle, that we're for real. We're not just playing this church game and putting on fake smiles. This is the real deal. When they see authenticity, they flock to it and they love it. Because this generation desperately needs what we carry, our wisdom. They desperately need it. They need our wisdom not only from our lives and our experiences, but wisdom from the word of God that we carry. But the problem is they're not necessarily going to receive it from our preaching and our lecturing. They're going to receive it through intentional relationships. They're going to receive it through intentional relationship. So this is a call to be intentional about unifying the generations. And to be intentional about embracing this next generation relationally. This might mean getting out of your comfort zone. It might mean inviting a young adult out to lunch with you. Listening to their perspective on religion and the church. Not condemning or lecturing, but listening and understanding. It might mean making a commitment to specific young adults who the Lord highlights to you to have coffee with once a month. And just say, hey, how you doing? Just want to let you know I'm for you if you need anything. Speaking encouragement, simple words of encouragement, speaking in destiny. Our generation, we're blessed with, like, not only wisdom but also, like, finances where we can actually really help to empower this generation and to launch them forward. You, like, after you meet and you connect and you're like, you have this passion for this and all you need is 100 bucks? Yeah, I want to invest in that. Okay, when you, when you invest in them relationally, you cheer them on, you're going to want what's best for them. And what happens is you, you pass along your spiritual DNA to them. Your ceiling becomes their floor. And we see amazing spiritual increase in this end times revival. The New American Standard puts that verse like this, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. So what does it mean when a generation arises? Generation arises. I think we're seeing bits and pieces of it here every week. We saw it on the stage this morning, right, with a young adult doing the welcome, a mixture of generations on the stage with the young adult doing the announcements offering thing. My heart was melting in worship. I was like, this is the highlight of my week. To see this generation pour out their hearts authentically before God. I don't know if it does it for you guys like it does it for me. But I'm like, this is amazing. We're not only seeing it in here. We're seeing it in the school building. And in the admin building with the youth. On Wednesday nights, I don't know if you guys are aware. We have 60 to 80 kids and youth here every Wednesday night. Sunday morning, the same kind of numbers. And what are they doing? We're just simply passing along the spiritual DNA. They're learning how to hear God for themselves, to pray for the sick. They're learning how to walk out encounters with the Lord and worship and walk out their destiny. They're taking it to the next level and then they come in here and we get to do it together. So, yeah, it's good stuff. A generation is arising. So when a generation arises, it must be empowered. And that is what is happening before your eyes. Otherwise, they hit this glass ceiling of, well, that's, I learned this back here, but they don't really want me. They don't want to receive the Holy Spirit that's working in me. So we've got to empower them. We have to be intentional about relationship. Intentional about understanding and intentional about empowering. So if, if church becomes this performance, like this weekly show where we have to just do everything specifically just right and there's no room to take a risk and make a mistake, it, it's not going to work to empower. We have to make room for the occasional mess. I'm not saying we want messes. In my house, we have messes. We have 11 kids. We have messes, right? Food gets dropped on the floor. Cups get spilt. Um, words get spoken. <laughs> Punches get, <laughs> get thrown, okay? We have our share of mistakes, messes that happen. I, I kind of expect it. I think I'd be crazy not to. I think I would go insane, But what happens when I mess? Do I stand there and condemn, and do I stand there and lecture, and do I stand there and I mean, it really doesn't work very well. I say, oh, you made a mess. How are you going to clean that up? We do that all the time. Do you need help cleaning up that mess? Let me show you what you need to do. And guess what happens? The next day, they don't make the same mess. Okay, so when we empower a generation, we have to expect the occasional mess. We can instruct, and we can prepare, and we can try to prevent messes, but in the end, it's going to happen. We've got to make some room for it. And when we have a relationship, and we've already been intentional about that, they're going to receive correction, and they're going to understand, and they're going to grow. And our ceiling becomes their floor, and they move forward. So the whole mess-making process um, leads to my final key, which is being sacrificial. You may feel that tug on your heart this morning. (laughs) The, The good news is that when you're relational and you're intentional, the sacrificial part becomes extremely easy. It's just kind of a natural thing that you're, it's a no brainer. You're going to want to do it. So I'm going to go here. I'm going to start with this visual example. For many of you who've been blown away by the transformation in this room that's happened in two months, Um, up left, upper left, that's what this place looked like two months ago, and that is what it looks like now before your eyes. What happened? what happened and put simply leadership listened to the next generation empowered it and let it happen do you know how long it took me to paint all that black paint that's about 10 gallons of black paint okay i'll be honest with you do you think black is my favorite color not really i'm kind of it's kind of growing on me but i honestly i'm more of a blue guy i'm just You can see, that's my color palette, um, is is more of a blue-gray thing. So why, why did I do it? Really, the generation I'm empowering and in relationship with, that's what they wanted. They explained to me the vision behind it, the, the why behind it, the generational preference. And I said, okay, I'll get behind that. And I I looked in my Bible, and I said, there's got to be a verse in here somewhere that um, says that churches can't be painted black. (laughs) That maybe you guys can find it, but I just can't find it. It's just not in there. Okay? It really, it's not a sin issue. This comes down to a personal preference issue. Okay, and it's the same thing with the worship. I don't know about you guys, but the style of worship you've heard the past two months, that may not be your number one favorite style of music. But that's the style the generation we're raising up and empowering wants to bring. So man, if they want to sing country, not my favorite. If they want to sing opera, definitely not my favorite. Hey, I'm in though. Because I wanna see a generation rise up and be empowered to bring their voice before the Lord and honor him and love him. So just so you know, if if you need to blame someone, it's me. It's really on me, Um, this transformation. And it, it really comes down to me wanting to empower the generation. So why all the extra work? The why behind yeah, thank you, Ms. Nancy. Why behind? Focusing on the presence of God for as long as possible. My first vineyard worship conference with Scott Underwood in Pensacola, Florida. What's the goal of worship? Leading worship, focusing people in the presence of God for as long as possible. Removing the distractions, keeping things simple. See, I'm led by vision, not opinion. And my vision is excellent, present-centered worship. I want the presence. Amen. That's what does it. That's what changes everything. When you go after the presence of God and worship and He comes, salvation, healing, deliverance, miracles, people are changed forever in the presence. So, what can we do to remove the distractions, keep things simple, focus as many people on the presence of God for as long as possible? That's my goal, that's my vision. Okay? So I see Sunday mornings kind of like a family dinner, that we're coming here together um, to eat, hang out, connect, reconnect. It's it's not a place to divide. It's not a place to debate, you know, who were the election or what what so-and-so did last week or who we're going to vote for. We kind of, hopefully we kind of lay that aside in this room at least because we're focused on something bigger and it's not the food, it's the presence removing the distractions in a family dinner atmosphere to come together to focus on the presence. And that's what I live for. I'll gladly sacrifice my opinion and preference and paint however many gallons of black paint I need to paint to focus on the presence for as long as possible. So there's this difference between compromise and sacrifice. I'm not asking anyone of any generation, to compromise your core beliefs in the word of God and who God is. In scripture, Holy Spirit, conviction of sin. But I am asking some in a church body to sacrifice their time, their personal preference, maybe even their comfort, for the sake of empowering a generation. I do it every day, and it's natural, and I wanna do it. So it's a no-brainer, but I know when you don't have the relationship, it becomes a little harder. So that's why I put relationship first. Be intentional, understand. Then sacrifice is easy. And it's not just about paint colors. Really, painting the paint is the easy part, okay? I'm talking about changing diapers. <laughs> I'm talking about getting dirty playing basketball or soccer. I'm talking about taking youth out to eat. Are you willing to get your hands dirty? Reminds me of there's this grandma in this church body. She had a grandson who was a middle school boy, just struggling with some things. And she asked me if, as the, I think I was a youth leader or something at the time, can you take him out? Can you spend some time with him? Because he's really struggling. And I kind of forgot, honestly, I just kind of forgot about it. I kind of put it off um, because this, this kid was just really out there. And um, I didn't really know him very well. And she pressed in again and asked me. And I was like, okay. So I set an appointment, um, took him out, met him at the church, took him to McDonald's for about 30, 40 minutes tops. It was probably my 30. 30 minutes at McDonald's sitting there. And I don't know if you guys know middle school boys. They're not... A, it's very communicative, there's still, it, communication skills is usually not a, um, a strength at that age, especially with the middle school boy, um, and that's pretty typical, but I'm 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 grilling him, I'm asking him questions, I'm, I'm like, all right, I gotta think of a question that doesn't have a yes, no answer, because <laughs> that's all I'm getting, and I'm running out of questions, okay? And I, I just showed it, genuine interest in his life for about 30 minutes, drove him back to the church, and said goodbye, and that's pretty much all the interaction we had for the next six months. Six months later, his grandma came to me, and she said, you know what? That time you spent with him changed everything. That It had such a big impact on his life. I was, <laughs> I was flabbergasted. That's my encouragement to you. When you don't feel like you're good enough... Or you've got this, or you know how to communicate with a middle school boy, press into the relationship. Be intentional. Be yourself and show genuine interest. Make a sacrifice. I mean, I, I spent a couple bucks and bought him a milkshake. And I, I really don't like sugar snack stuff, but that was a big sacrifice for me. But wow, how amazing. So, why empower a generation? To a father of 11, this is kind of a no-brainer, right? I don't really think twice about it. I want to see my kids shine. It's my legacy, my inheritance. And I see you guys as a church body. You're my extended family because you guys invest in my kids. and It's priceless what you've given. And so um, I want to give you like one last example I don't know if you guys know, I'm a pretty big Toyota Honda fan. Okay, I love Toyotas and Hondas. So, but if my son comes up to me and he's and he saved up his money and he decides he wants to buy a Ford, and I'm going to ask him, so why? And he wants to go out, it's, it's what he needs to go after um, the destiny. Of God. He's heard the Lord on it, he's pursuing the presence, and it's, 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 it's going to help him get there. Um, I'm going to say, yeah. I'm I'm a proud papa. I'm going to say, yeah, man, you go for it, okay? So sometimes we need to open our eyes to the generation rising in front of us. They might not be doing it the way we did it or the way we've always done it. And I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm talking about preferences and, and different ways of doing things. I'm talking about Hondas versus Fords. It's just not worth the argument. It's just not worth it. First John three sixteen. By this we know and have come to understand the depths and essence of his precious love that he willingly laid down his life for us because he loved us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the believers. So what if our church became known as a family of fathers and mothers gladly sacrificing their personal preference to see their spiritual children empowered and launched into their destiny. What if? What if we became known for that? Eternal rewards. Proud mamas and papas. There is nothing like standing here on the front row and worshiping and knowing that I played a part In some of these kids, young adults, getting up on that stage and worshiping their heart out before God. I want you guys to share in that. It's so much fun. Empowering the next generation, watching them shine, encouraging them, launching them, investing in them. Passing the baton to the next generation. It's relational, it's intentional, and it's sacrificial. Are you with me? Count the cost. Are you with me? Are you with me? If I could have maybe a couple guys grab the communion table for me. We're going to, please, we're going to finish. Thanks, guys. We're going to finish with communion at the end. So 1 Corinthians 5 says, We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. A ministry of reconciliation. We have first, and you can read this passage, it's really powerful. I'm actually going to look at it again this week because it's so deep. We've been reconciled to God through Christ, through Jesus. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation because of what Jesus did for us. We've been made right with God. So as we begin to take communion, if you need to get right with God right now, if he's just speaking to you and your relationship is not right, I want you to know that Jesus died for you. He died to make things right, to give you a clean conscience. He died to remove the guilt and shame. He poured out, he gave his life on the cross for you to bring you that ministry of reconciliation. And so now, for those of you who have received that reconciliation, you are now called Christ's ambassadors. You are called to give this ministry of reconciliation away. Give this ministry of reconciliation away to those who need it, to a lost and dying world, to the next generation give this ministry of reconciliation to bring unity among the generations, to bring unity among the races in our city. It starts right here with the ministry of reconciliation and our identity as sons and daughters. So will you be an ambassador to bring God's reconciliation to our city? Will you bring God's reconciliation to your family? You think about in your natural family, sons, daughters, moms, dads, aunts, uncles. The Lord is calling you as an ambassador to bring reconciliation. Sometimes it means humbling yourself and making relationship, being intentional about relationship. Making it a priority and making sacrifice to bring reconciliation. So, the Lord is speaking to some of you this morning about family, your natural family. He's speaking to some about bringing reconciliation among generations in our church body and in our city. Because we're called to be at that pinnacle place, that high place in our city of bringing reconciliation among the generations. We're called to pastor a city to lead from this place of empowering and launching the next generation. It's what we're gonna be known for. The Lord is speaking to some of you about your part in that process. And that may mean initiating a conversation which is uncomfortable, inviting someone over for lunch or dinner, going out for coffee. I'm telling you, a youth or young adult, you buy them a $5 meal, And you have blessed them beyond reason. Some of you, that's no big deal. To them, it is a big deal. A free dinner at a home family setting will just rock them and open their hearts to receive. God has given you a ministry of reconciliation to bring unity among generations. In our church family and in our city. God has given us, as a church body, a ministry of reconciliation to bring racial unity in our city. I don't have any magic answers. I know we need a lot more understanding first. We need to be relational. We need to be intentional about relationship, really gaining understanding. And there's probably going to be some sacrifice involved. But I know the Lord wants to bring this ministry of reconciliation to our city in every sphere. So as we take communion today, in just a minute we're going to line up on, on both sides. I'd like you to just pick one or two other people to take communion with. And this is going to be a, a joint communion and ministry time. So um, as the Lord is speaking right now, Holy Spirit, I pray the Lord that you would put on our hearts, you would give us pictures of people where we can bring the ministry of reconciliation to family members, to prodigals, to spiritual sons and daughters, to young adults and youth and kids, to the generations. And to people in our city.